Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. We've got special guest filling on the third mic, amazing agent Josh Grabensky. Gabe is behind the camera as always, and we all work with the Tom Tool sales group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And you can find us streaming live every week on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So we've got some juicy topics today. We're going to unpack the Tom Ferry Summit. I would argue the best real estate event that's out there at the end. We're going to talk about the president's student loan debt plan. But first, interesting article on Inman. I I found this fascinating where they pose the question. And and to me, this is a very well-written article. Do economists even know? what a housing recession is, because we have heard about this constantly, that we're in this recession, there's a bubble bursting, but what does it even mean? Is this a defined term? So what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I think that previously it was was not. (laughs) Um, It was kind of interesting seeing um, for like Google searches how it's something that people, you know, for the last couple of years occasionally would put in, and then all of a sudden within the last couple months, it just has skyrocketed. Um, So I think it's a term that they're figuring out what it actually means as time kind of goes on, um, which is just kind of interesting to see that that come together. Well, and and CNBC declared a housing recession last week. And on the same day, U.S. News and World Report announced that it was a deepening housing recession. So I I do agree there's some uh, vague definitions here. Josh, what do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, I've I've read so many articles on recessions housing recessions and i can't say I, i've learned anything at all and what it, <laughs> what it actually means in the day-to-day life of each of us um you know are, are we looking at rising ha- gas prices or supply chains or jobs at risk like it, it, it equates to a bunch of fear to me uh, without a lot of answers i i couldn't agree more with what you said it's a lot it's fear-based marketing or fear-based media and and that's become a thing so I took the liberty of doing some Google research here, very in-depth. Oh, and you're going to add to the trend of... Yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, that, you can blame me for this. Um, so according to uh, the Vice President of Demographics and Behavioral Insights at NAR, the National Association of Realtors, her name's Jessica Lotz, it really means, a housing recession really means a contraction in home sales in the last six months. And if that's all you're defining it as, sure, there's been less homes that have sold, However, I would argue that this is a little misleading because when I hear recession, I mean, what comes to mind for you two when you hear recession? Like, without we've done some research, but what's what's your gut reaction there? Negative. Negative. Okay. Yeah, people losing jobs and you know out on the street and all the all the negative uh, economic indicators. What what I think of is prices are going down, rates are going up, homes aren't selling anymore because I've I've been through a much different market than this in two thousand eight where. Days on market was like 90, 120 days. Prices went actually down for the only time I've seen that. In, in, and, and it's one of the only times in history when we saw that sharp of a decrease. So less homes selling. I don't know that it necessarily means a recession. Now, that can lead to a recession in the country because GDP is going to shrink because housing makes up 17% of GDP. So it, it sounds like no one really knows what, what this means. And if you were to define a recession, I mean, does, does the less homes selling, does that cut it for you? especially when you know that you're having to ask people or answer this in real life to people, like it's just less home selling. That means a recession for you guys or 
How are you explaining this when, when this comes up? Because I know it's we deal with this question every day. I mean, we're coming off a market that's just breakneck speed. You know, so many houses are selling. The turnover is just e- explosive. I think any market after that is going to feel like a recession. I mean, coming down to normal, which we're not even – it doesn't even feel like we're at a normal mm-hmm. place yet. We're still accelerated. Um, but anything coming off of that is going to feel slow. The right. slow mean recession. No. Not at all. That, 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 I think that's the thing we got to define here because otherwise, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I mean, this is what people are talking about right now. I was going to say basically the exact same thing, that based off of the speed and the number of sales that were occurring in the months leading up to what they're calling the recession, like obviously that's going to, as things slow down a little bit, even if it's still a fast-paced market, if you just look like numbers from a couple months ago to numbers now, it doesn't mean that the numbers now are bad. They're still great. It's just, it's different than what it was um, when everything was full speed ahead. And, and this really to me shows how powerful like social media, how powerful web news is. I mean, you know, 15 years ago, no one was going to websites to get news like they do now. And in fact, they'd probably go watch like CNBC or, or something like that. Um, you mentioned the Google search phrase, and I think this has something to do with it, is that they, there was a chart on Inman, and they they, uh, they put – it's a Google Trends chart, and it talks about interest over time in this particular topic. And it, back in, you know, 2017, it's basically zero. You see a couple blips here or there, and then all of a sudden, right at the end of June, which I would argue is the appropriate time the market started to change a little bit, mm-hmm. you saw the the Google search – spike on this dramatically um it went from basically a zero a factor of zero to a factor of 100 in about four or five days here um of just being searched on on google so that could be from a a lot a lot of different reasons but the news especially and inman went back and searched this and they couldn't even find the term being used historically They, they talked to all different people so this article was written by uh jim dalrymple who's been um on on inman for years uh, they spoke to all the different Inman articles, and they, they've been pr- arguably the news source for real estate for, for some time now. No one even heard about this. It's like when Selfie came on this. No one knew what a Selfie was until right. people started taking them. So knowing all, all of this, um, how would you define a housing recession? I mean, we're, we're professionals in the industry. We've all sold plenty of real estate. How, how would you define this? I mean, I guess I would say you would have to factor in, you know, the number of pending and closed transactions, uh, number of homes that are hitting the market. And I think that the mortgage applications would come into play here as well. So, you know, how many new mortgage applications are being submitted, you know, or is refinancing something that's going on? I think it would be taking each of those pieces. But even even with all of those pieces in mind, with this being a relatively new term or undefined term right now, there isn't the exact parameters that are in place that you can just Google and say like, well, what is a recession, you know? And like, there's different takes on that, I think to some degree, but this is, you know, this is a recession with it being the housing recession that hasn't been fully defined yet. But I would say taking all of those different pieces and um, kind of looking at which direction it's trending. For sure. I I like that. I think we're definitely like, Week over week, it, 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 when we look at the data in, in the housing market, are we changing the way that we're looking at the data? Has anything changed there? We're going to look at the same factors, the same data sets, and how those slowly change. We were look, doing that before. We're going to be doing that going forward. So now that they've made it a new term, this housing recession, none of that has changed. Right. Like it doesn't just because they're putting a different name to it, it doesn't change what's happening. 
I, I, I agree. And, and I think where this has come from, this is just my observation, is that a recession is defined as two successive quarters of declining economic data. So they're picking, okay, well, less homes have sold two quarters in a row, coming off the most amount of homes that have <laughs> transacted ever. So right. by definition, could it be a housing recession? I, I guess. It, it, but at the same time, it, you know, I mean, you look at, you literally, you Google housing recession, here's what comes up. The Inman article we're talking about, then there's an article on USA Today, is the housing market in a recession or a correction? So a lot of the same stuff that we're, we're dealing with. And, you know, what, what I see is that if there, it's got to be a couple factors. And then that's kind of what Inman goes on to explain here. Um, someone called it a housing hangover. I think that's actually a pretty good way to right. look at it, is that people are sobering up after an unusual two-year period in which we saw you know, massive stimulus from the government. People had a lot of extra disposable income because you couldn't even go out and spend this stuff. With all, you, know, you think about all the PPP loans and all that extra money that was out there. Some people took those and bought investment properties. Whether that's right or wrong, that's what happened. So it, seeing less home sell for sure, prices haven't gone down, though. That, to me, is the big factor right. here. I, I, that's where I have a hard time with this. And, of course, when sales go down, mortgage applications are going to go down. And, so, and housing starts have gone down because of supply chain issues. So from, from those areas, sure. But then I flip it to our market where we're not a big new construction market. So how much does housing starts really, really drive the market here? So it, it's, you know, it's one of those things where it's a dangerous term to throw around because it's so vague. And being vague in this market creates a lot of fear. So... If someone was to ask you this, how are you answering this question? So I woke up to you, and, and you're showing me houses, Sarah, or Josh, you're going to list your house with me. Hey, so are we in a housing recession right now? I just sold this online. How are you handling this? Um, I guess I'd ask, like, where they heard that or what, what they think is going on with with the current market condition, and then kind of point them to, uh, you know, we were in a very heightened state for, for several years. We're starting to shift into a little bit more of a normalized market where, you know, there are there are some different factors that are happening right now that weren't happening, but it was unusual for the the lead up here. So I would say that, no, we're not in a recession, but this is what is going on and this is what to expect um, as we go through the process. Great answer. So I think that helps on the buy side. What about the list side? Because I think that these are these are always two different perspectives yeah. here. For sure. So, I mean, you want to ask them where they're getting their data, what data they have, and what do they think about it. And then you want to bring the actual data of what's actually going on in their market specifically, the larger market that their their property is in, and what's going on nationally. And then you just kind of talk them through it. Now, with the seller, you know, they're looking at maybe a 30, 60, maybe 90-day timeline. At how, how much is really going to change in that period? And just trying to keep them grounded, bring it home, and kind of, you know, show them that, you know, there's nothing to panic about today. Uh, well, well said. I mean, and I think nothing to panic about is, is the key thing to, to mention here. Um, we had the pleasure of seeing David Childress last week, our, our friend from Keeping Current Matters. Uh, he's there. I don't know what his title is there, but he's, he's, he's the front of the company. Let's call it that, right? I mean, he, 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 and he worked on Wall Street for a very long time at the Tom Ferry Summit last week. He had a really interesting stat. I don't know if you remember this one, Josh, but home price growth dropped by two percentage points um, last month, but it was the growth drop, not not actual prices, the the rate of growth. So Mm -hmm. I want to be really clear about this for the very reason we're having this conversation, and that was the single greatest drop since the 1970s. And we would need six more months of a two-plus percentage point drop in housing price growth 
to drive appreciation back down to 5%, which is more in the norm. Mm -hmm. So that stat is very real. And that really, to me, defines that we're not in a housing recession. It's there's less activity because, and I would argue that a lot of people moved up their time frame over the past couple of years because of low rates, because of being sick of living in cities. I mean, how many clients did you guys have that were like, I'm done living in Philadelphia, take me to the suburbs? Big factor. So yeah. there, there's some things that happened here that I, led to this drop off in activity that we've seen. And we've used this analogy before when you're going 150 miles an hour down the road and you slow down to 90, it feels a lot slower we're still seeing multiple offers. We're still seeing competitive prices for homes. People just aren't waiving everything anymore. They're not They're not giving those, I would argue, incredible offers. Or you remember when the Phillies were going into free agency, they said they were going to spend stupid money? <laughs> it was probably a little bit of that going on too, right? And I, I think, I mean, we've all seen it with some of these homes where they sold for, wow, I can't, I, I mean, I don't, what, what's your take on that? You think that's an accurate way to depict this here? What, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I I think that given the state of where everything was at, um, you know, if we go back two years, a year and a half, in order to get the home, those were things that you needed to do um, in order to secure it. Uh, Right now, we're now looking at a situation where you are, in many cases, able to get those inspections, get um, some of the pieces back in place that in a normal market were standard. I don't know if that answered the question. Uh, well said. No, I, I, well, it, it feels like more of a normal market, not the, not not a recession. But this is what the market was like in 2019. I, I would argue. Exactly. I started in 2019, and this this brings back all the feelings of of that that time. It's you know you can take a little more time, you can see more houses, you can be reasonable and rational in your actions, um, and that that gives me personally a ton more confidence in getting out there. Hundred percent. I think it's going to be easier for consumers. Because they can actually take like a night to think about making a $700,000 decision or insert whatever price point you're at. Mm-hmm. Makes it easier on the agents because you can say, okay, let's, let's regroup at this time. I'm going to get some information. I'll get back to you instead of walking in and saying, my laptop's on the hood of the car. I've prepped the contracts. We've got eight minutes to make a decision. What do you want to do? Right. And I don't, I, don't, I mean, people that bought in 2020, I'm sure are pretty happy about that given what's happened. But it's, oh, yeah. it's still a... It's a tough thing to go through for, for, for a lot of folks. So I, I, I love what you said there that it's I think it makes it easier for the consumer and for the agent, which I, and it, it's going to lead to better decisions for people they feel better about. Right. So the last thing I'll leave you with here is uh, Lawrence Yoon, and I think this will be a good way to wrap it up. So the chief economist at NAR, he was recently quoted as saying the U.S. It, the U.S. is in a housing recession, and he asked what that means. And he indicated that he's drawing on a wide range of metrics to make his assessment. So there is a housing recession in, to, in terms of fewer sales, lower housing starts, declining mortgage lending, especially the collapse in the mortgage refinance. And then Jeff Tucker, the senior economist at Zillow, said it's kind of a, a bit of like uh, terminology innovation because they've obviously like invented this term similar to deceleration. I mean, that wasn't really a thing, but that was, people started talking about it and it, it, it's gaining traction. And really it's, it's, it's more about the whole picture. I don't know that you're able going to be ever going to be able to say, this is what a housing recession means because we know why the mortgage refinance market dropped because everyone refinanced, they'll did it. It's done. Right. Like it's over. So, and a lot of people urged caution in using it that it's not going to it's going to be easy for people to misconstrue it so do you think this term sticks because the economists are saying yeah it's it's complicated which is like the worst answer you can give somebody 
because it just creates more uncertainty in the market, especially for people that aren't well-informed and maybe are in that exploratory phase, and they hear this, and then all of a sudden they just decide not to transact. Do you think this sticks around a couple more years? Do you think this goes away? How How do you see this term lasting in terms of the longevity of it? I think it's going to stick around. I think that there's maybe they'll tighten up kind of the parameters for what what the term means. But I feel like once something starts to get thrown out there and especially by, you know, major news organizations and uh, I I think it'll drop off a little bit. Um, I think if we, you know, extend this chart out, if we had a little ball into the future here to see a couple years down the road, I think we're going to see it went from like that zero flat line to like spiked up to I think we're going to see it kind of like go down and it'll probably also be searched um, more or less frequently based on, you know, how consumers are feeling about what's going on in the market. Yeah, I think uh, we're in the full uh, attention economy. So people are going to see that Google Trends graph and say, hey, that's the term that we need to be using going forward. That's what's grabbing attention. I totally agree on that because I can tell you we're going to do the same thing and then do a video about why it's not a housing <laughs> recession. And I don't think that's that's it's good marketing. You got to know the, the so I that's a great point, Josh, because this is literally what we have planned for for next week to explain all this. So, you know, the point is I think it's really about getting informed and agents need to be able to communicate this effectively. Buyers and sellers need to get the real information. Don't want, I, w- I would just stop watching the news entirely if you're thinking about making a real estate decision and talk to a local expert that's recommended to you. That seems to be the best advice. And if you're going to do anything, really dive into the data. Don't just listen to the headlines that you see or read, read the first paragraph of the article, which I know I'm guilty of and things that I'm not super informed about. So get some information, get informed, I think is the best way to go here. Agreed. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we are going to talk about a piece from our friends at Broke Agent Media about student loan debt and the housing market. I find this highly interesting for a lot of reasons. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. I'm Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. If you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater Philly area, I have a special offer for you. Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand-new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool sales group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's tomtool with an e.com. 
Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. For the best local mortgage service and great rates on your money, look no further than Mortgage America. We've been operating in the greater Philadelphia area for 40 years with a focus on smooth, easy access to home purchasing. Whether you're a first-time buyer, upsizing or downsizing, or just refinancing, we have programs for you. We also have closing cost assistance programs and access to subsidized interest rates. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. To learn more, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender. NMLS 128501. Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and he's Josh Grabinski. We've got Gabe behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And you can find us streaming live every week on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So, Bit of a controversial topic here. I think that a lot of people are talking about this, and our friends at Broke Agent Media, they put together what I thought was a very well-thought-out look at the student loan forgiveness executive order that's been put out there by President Biden and how it affects real estate. And even Dave Ramsey, financial guru, is chiming in, debatable financial guru, but we'll call him one now. So the short of it is, if you haven't been uh, paying attention Uh, Last week, President Biden announced the cancellation of up to $20,000 in student loans for individual U.S. citizens. Um, The policy would cancel $10,000 in federal student debt for borrowers earning less than $125,000. And Americans who paid for college with Pell's grants available to lower income borrowers can qualify for an extra $10,000 in debt relief. So they're talking about forgiving student loan debt. This has been a hot topic for a long time of is it worth going to college? Is it worth getting the debt? Uh, we, we can talk about that as much as we want. How do you think this affects potential home buyers? I mean, we, they, the broke agent media uh, company, they did a nice job breaking it down, but in, on, the, on the field for you two, and I would say it also affects sellers in some cases as well because you got these sellers that are maybe paying for their kids and having them not take out student loans. Has this been something that has stopped people from transacting? Like how has it affected you, you guys in the field in terms of like your conversations with buyers and sellers over the past three, four, five years? I can only, to be honest, I can only think of one client that I've had recently that we got, you know, underway in a transaction. And then for a couple reasons, things kind of went sideways. And one of the factors was um, his debt to income ratio and student student loan debt, which it was, it was like a little bit of a, a tricky situation. But I think it's something that certainly can, you know, be a, a big factor as to whether or not you can qualify um, and how much you can qualify for. In many situations, I feel like I haven't gotten that far along with people that are burdened heavily with student loan debt because a lot of times off the bat, they already know that they're not qualified. Yeah, I feel like um, like my gut reaction is it, how, how much is this really going to impact them? How, how much a month would that equate to? Um, but I have had buyers in the past that that are burdened with with some amount of debt, and you know, a couple hundred, few hundred dollars a month might be the tipping point that could get them into 
you know, maybe the house that has the HOA for a couple hundred bucks a month, maybe the property that has a little higher taxes in the area that they want to. So it, I don't think it should be downplayed. Um, but I mean, it's something that they, they'll have to sit down with their mortgage guys and just kind of see where they are financially and, and how much this could this could help them out. You bring up a couple good points there. Property taxes can definitely be an issue for people. I mean, you look at when they like just think about if you're considering, OK, I want to move to Delaware County, which has a little bit higher taxes than other places or even they want that home that's maybe $500,000 and they can only get approved up to four hundred. Four hundred $400 a month goes a long way in, in some cases, which is what we're maybe talking about here with these loans. So I, I think it maybe deters people from even getting into the market, to your point. And, and when they have those initial conversations, they're not there or they just don't like what they can see for their budget. Uh, so what to give some stats here, 34 percent of Americans between 18 and 29 have student debt. And the total number of Americans with student debt is just above 43 million, according to the Education Data Initiative. And the average amount owed owed is just over $37,000. So according to Zillow, um, student debt puts many would-be homebuyers close to or even over the DTI ratios, disqualifying them. So, Josh, I agree. I think it's a matter of we're right there. We can't just get over the hump for a lot of people. So... With this plan, I mean, I think there, there's a lot of reaction to this. So let's say this moves ahead, which I think is a question in itself. I mean, my, my opinion is I don't think the Supreme Court's going to go for this, and they're going to say executive order canceled. I mean, that's just me. I, I don't know what you guys think. And we can talk about this as much as you want. Um, this is just a prediction of what will happen, not a, not a political conversation. Uh, if it does get passed, do we really need more buyers in the market right now? I mean, that's the like, I, I, is this going to be good or bad? Depending, let's say, let's say this goes through and it doesn't go through. What's best worst case scenario for each? So, I mean, I think that there's going to be a bit of a, a trickle down effect. This isn't like they're just being given ten thousand dollars. So it's Agreed. Um, it's money that over time they will they're going to see that they you know have a little you know a couple extra hundred dollars a month. What are they going to do with that? Are they going to are they going to save that? Are they going to spend that? Um, so I think that's going to be a factor. I think what will happen right away is that this could change people's debt to income ratio and have them in a better position to qualify um, for some of these, either for a mortgage um, when they weren't before or for, you know, some different some different terms or different price points. So um, I but I don't see it being something where there's suddenly this huge influx of buyers. I think it'll give, you know, some people the ability to move forward when they couldn't before, but not every one of the individuals who get student loan forgiveness are going to then, it, their next step might not be homeownership. You know, they may have other things in mind. Yeah, this may be this may be a longer reaction than you would think. You know, if you mm -hmm. can have an extra few hundred bucks, three, four hundred bucks a month um, that you could pocket away, maybe this gives people the opportunity to build a plan to get to homeownership. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they're not suddenly getting this money in their pockets, but it does free up their budget a little bit where they could be a little more tactical yeah. um, in the next year. So your assessment is right on with the Zillow survey that was completed. Um, almost one in 10 of student loan borrowers with an income-based repayment plan had less than 28% left of their monthly income to cover housing costs. So that's, I mean, you figure you can go up to a 50% DTI. That goes down to 28. I mean, that's almost half. So that's pretty substantial in a lot of cases. Half of renters and 39% of potential home buyers held off buying due to student loan debt. So whether it was 
I mean, it might not even be that can they afford it. It's like, okay, do I, can I eat? Can I furnish the house? Like there's these right. other expenses that come up as well. So I, I don't know that it's going to reshape things entirely, but maybe more people would be considering buy, buying a home. Um, and what, what kind of came out of this, so personal home finance expert, expert Dave Ramsey, if you guys don't know him, he's uh, big on being debt-free. That's basically his, his claim to fame. And he's a radio show host. He's got a major following. He dismissed the move as intellectually dishonest. And he said, if student loans are so bad that you have to cancel them, then why are you continuing to make them? You should at least stop making them before we start forgiving them. What do you guys think about this? I mean, I think that's like a, a good point to look at what is what is causing all of this and why does it need to be forgiven? Is there a different way that things could could be shaped where people off the like aren't continuing to like fall into this this hole? Um, you know, and I think that would be a, a good place to start now for the people that are in the hole. They're like, get me out of the hole. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Um, like, I don't think it's one of those things where there's an exact right answer. Yeah, I mean, uh, student loans are a big, big conversation because, uh, I mean, it's pretty easy to get them. You don't necessarily have to be on a route to, you know, repay them in order to qualify. Right. Um, and so I think that is something that's ripe for disruption and new ideas. Um, so he, he, he makes some fair points on that. So, I, you know, it's all about, to me, what your intention is by getting student loan debts. And, and I think this is th- – I've heard a couple different sides on this. So you talk about the, the parents that take out student loan debt. Well, there's some parents that say, we're not doing it. We're going to scrimp and save, and that's how we're going to go about it. And others, they go on vacations every year, and they buy a new car every year. So I think there's a, there's a personal financial issue, number one, which is probably why Dave's chiming in. And, you know, is, is it fair? Probably not, right? I mean, this person paid in cash. This person didn't. Now they're getting their debt repaid because they were financially responsible. I think that's one issue. Mm-hmm. The second issue, and I've got a question for you guys here. There's a little bit of a curveball. What do people do once they get the student loan debt? So, like, what's their intention? What are, what are they trying to do when they get out of college? Because um, our buddy Byron Lazine had a great point here. Um, you can the, the debt that you get when you buy a home, it gives you an asset. The debt that you get from a student loan gives you a chance at a job, and it's just a chance. So what did you two major in? And I'll tell you what I majored in because I had student loan debts. I don't know if you guys did or not, but I, I think this is a really interesting case study here because th- there's, a, there's a disease and a symptom. The disease mm-hmm. is the debt. The symptom is the loan itself that they give them out. to. De- and like you said, they're really easy to get. Anybody can get these things. Right, and you don't have to, like – necessarily know I'm going to make this amount when I get out of school and get this job and I'll be able to repay in this amount of time and that's why it's going to be worth it. You could also take on a lot of debt getting, you know, a sociology degree, okay. which is what I got. Okay. <laughs> well, that, I, I have a case study on this too. But so, I mean, ser- but like what, what was your intent? Like sociology, like, I mean, tell me more about it because obviously you're doing well, very yeah. smart. That, that, like, this is no judgment on you, but it's, this is what happened to people yeah. from our generation. So, well, my initial plan, I I started off as a business degree, um, had some trouble with statistics, (laughs) ended up switching over to sociology. But at that point, my game plan was actually to go into counseling um, and which I did do for a little bit right after uh, getting out of school. I kind of wanted to take a break before going to grad school um, and I worked for Pennsylvania Counseling Services. Um, did that for a bit and then ultimately decided to kind of change directions. But I didn't have necessarily like a certain dream job lined up for 
I wasn't like on track for, mm-hmm. um, all right, I got this degree, so this is what my job's going to be. Like there was a lot of, it could go a lot of different directions. I would argue you did get into counseling and just happened to be doing it while selling real estate, which is a whole nother <laughs> conversation. But th- that's not, I, it, it's funny you said that. So what about you, Josh? Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, pretty similar in that similar story with a lot of people I know where you, you pursue one route. I pursued foreign languages. So I studied French and I studied, I uh, took out some student, I, I got scholarships early on that I took out student loans to continue on um, learning Chinese and other language because I thought that would be a little more um, savvy in the in the job market. Um, but by the end of it, I, like many others, uh, kind of burnt out on the subject, decided to switch careers, go another direction. And the stuff I learned in college isn't necessarily what I'm doing today. Um, so what was that debt that I took on for ultimately, you know? Right. So my brother-in-law did the same. He was a history major at St. Joe's, and then he decided, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And he bartended for a couple of years. Then he went back to school. Now he's an occupational therapist. So it's the total opposite. Even I went to business school, right? And and this is probably the most like applicable. I didn't really. I was talking with um, our coach the other day, and we were doing something. He goes, "Hey, your accounting degree finally paid off." Twenty years later, I mean, <laughs> and it's even me going to business school and being in business. I don't think I got that much value. I got some life experience for sure, sure. and we probably all did that, which I, I think is invaluable. But I took out student loans. I mean, and it wasn't something that it's like, oh, great, this is setting me up to be successful. Now, I, I think a business degree is more applicable than other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it comes back to this question, like, what are people really doing? And so all, all that in mind. So, I mean, I'm hearing Josh say that this could affect people, maybe get into the housing market sooner. What, what, what's your take on this? I mean, if this goes through, which I, I think is a 50-50 shot at this point at best, I mean, I'm actually more negative on it getting past than others. Um, what, what do you think, Sarah? I mean, I think there is a a small pool of the people who get the debt forgiveness that do pretty quickly kind of enter the market. I think that we're going to see more of a, you know, down the line, a a longer term um, shift where some of these people can get in sooner, but it doesn't mean the second that it's forgiven, they're getting in, they're hopping right in. I mean, it could be a year down the line, two years, five years, but I think it will push some of these people in a little bit sooner than than what the, the situation would have been otherwise. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I personally don't think it'll. It's going to go very far. I mean, it, I think it's going to get shot down by the Supreme Court, and I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm. This is not meant to be political. <laughs> this is how does it affect real estate and, and, and the housing market? And there's a lot to do with this. And a lot of people have the same opinion that Dave Ramsey does here, which is, it's great to forgive this stuff after people already made these decisions. And look, the the when you go to school, it costs money. I mean, it, mm-hmm. like you can, like it's like you have to. You have there's room and board. There's meals. The, these these professors make salaries so that like the service was given. Right. So I think that's, that's a little bit of a challenge here. Um, and what, what I would argue is I think this is, if anything, hopefully this puts pressure, which I don't think it's, I don't think this is going to happen either, but it puts pressures on universities to lower their cost. Cause it's very expensive going to college right now. Right. I mean, it, it's at, it, it's, 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 I have kids, right? You just had a, a baby girl. Josh has got a baby on the way. I think as, I'm like, man, how is, much is it going to cost send these kids to college if they want to go? Right. I mean, literally, it's it's it's, and we started saving when they were born. I don't think we have nearly enough money saved. I think we're screwed. My my son's already nine, so I got seven years left, like or eight years left. It's nine years left. I can't do math. It's it's going to be astronomical. Right. The, the game is uh, got to teach them to build a profitable business before they get of college age. Yes. Yes. <laughs> get him his real estate license at fifteen. I'll forge some documents or something. Obviously, we won't do that. 
Get them on Shark Tank, right? Those little kids on Shark Tank. There you go. I, I don't think this problem's going away, though, for a lot of people. And and I know a lot of parents. I mean, I see them scrimp and save, and they're trying to send their kids to college, and then... Right. Well, and I think it also brought up a point here, and I guess Biden kind of said, this is a one-time thing, but are there going to be other people that do take on more loans thinking down the line that could be forgiven? And then who knows if it is or not. And you can't you can't plan on a maybe this will be forgiven. You know, like you, yeah. when you take out money, you have to plan on paying it back. <laughs> you can't plan on a bailout. I mean, we've seen this right. before with that first time homebuyer tax credit in 2008. That was a one time thing people took advantage of. A lot of the pandemic stimulus is probably the same thing for a lot of folks. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't think this goes through, number one, to Josh's point. Even if it did, I think it'd be like you would see an impact in a couple years once people start saving and getting real. Hopefully, and my hope is people get more realistic about their finances and they start talking about this stuff a lot earlier than like, hey, your only path is to go to college because that's some things that's schools just kind of push that a lot. And I know a lot of people that are wildly successful that never set foot in, in, on a university or a college campus. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the facts of, of what's happening. I mean, it doesn't sound like any of us are using our degrees that well. I mean, right. Your counseling one might be the best one out of the three. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I'm being serious. I mean, Josh Hagen was a social worker. He went right. to school for that, our sales manager. So yeah. interesting topic here. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Josh Krabinski and I, as well as uh, Curtis Maynard from our team, were at the Tom Ferry Summit this past week. I would argue the best event in real estate. We're going to break it down. We're going to get Sarah's feedback on it as well. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDV, 860 AM. You shouldn't have to deal with all the red tape when getting your mortgage from a big or online bank. At Mortgage America, we have access to big bank money, but with the personalized and detailed service of a local bank. We are here in your community and ready to serve with fast settlements, low down payment options, and first-time homebuyer programs. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. For more information, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents, and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals, and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Main Line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's Tom, tool with an E, dot com. Sell your home for more, and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. 
All right, all right, all right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Time, and he's Josh Grabensky, and we've got Gabe behind the camera, and we all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. We're streaming live every week, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So we're going to kick this next segment to Josh here because he was at the Tom Ferry Success Summit in Dallas, Texas this past week. I would argue the best room in real estate. In fact, I said that at the summit on stage. I've been to a lot of real estate events. This one delivers a lot of value. And more importantly, I would argue the people in the room have the right mindset to deliver the value. It's a very growth mindset sort of place where they're not worried about competition. They're not worried about those sort of things. Tom Ferry's been the number one uh, coach ranked by Swanepoel for, I don't know, five, seven, eight years now. So the event was awesome. A lot of great speakers. I always find it's important to see, like, all right, you went to the event. You got pumped up. Now what's going to happen afterwards? And so I asked Josh to come up with his key takeaways from the event. Sarah and I will chime in, but why don't you just lay them down for us, and then we can kind of comment on them as we go, Josh. Yeah, so right up front, DJ DeSala, he's down in Florida. Uh, he got up on stage and talked about his team's stats. He put up like five or six of his top salesmen, and he said, showed the number of conversations that they have, and then he showed the top salesmen of who's selling the most. And lo and behold, people with the most conversations are selling the most houses. So it's pretty simple, something we talk about all the time. But seeing the data up on stage, it's just such a big like drive this home, have more conversations, get more sales. Yeah, and maybe like – go ahead and like take on the no's by being like, all right, well, that's one no out of the way that's going to get me to the yes. Because it is, it's, yeah, you got to have those convos. For sure. So that's, uh, that that was a big solid one for me just because, you know, I, I'm never making up calls, I feel like, and, uh, you know, bring those up as much as I can. I would argue that being dissatisfied is a sign of, of successful people, though. I, I don't think you want to beat yourself up too much. It's more, okay, now I heard it for the 15th time. And I've done this where you're like, you hear something again and you're like, Unbelievable! I should have been doing this the first time I heard of it. So I, I don't think there's anything negative about it, but just seeing it from somebody else, I, th- I, th- I think that's more valuable. When you So DJ and his wife, Lindsay, they run this incredible sales team. They're the official real estate agents of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They basically sell the – Jacksonville's a small town, so don't get too excited. Uh, <laughs> but it's not even a real town. We actually have proven this with DJ. He's a good friend of mine. But it, it's there, there's so many things that come into this, and then it's okay. You see it again, and it just sometimes it's got to click for you, or you got to be in the right spot for it to click for you. If that makes sense, like you're in the right mindset to hear that advice. Love that takeaway. Sure. Next up, we got uh, David Caldwell. Uh, I'm not sure where he's out of, but he's Oregon. Spoke, he spoke last year about uh, YouTube ads. That was great. This year, he talked about something that 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 uh, our coach Chef Mace has talked about quite a bit: doing CMAs for people. He's always telling us. Do a CMA a day for your clients and just get that out there. Caldwell takes it another further. He rebrands it, reframes it as doing an annual home equity review for people in the market. Um, maybe not people are not quite ready to yet uh, to sell, uh, but kind of reframing our position more from an advisement standpoint where we can get in front of them, tell them what's changed in the market from 2019 to 2022, how their home is appreciated, what their plan is for the next one, two, three, five, seven, ten years, and be there to guide them forward to make the best steps to help them uh, reach their goals. 
So you've used the CMA a day I mean, whatever you want to call it, and, and this definitely does work. What have the results been when you've dropped off CMAs for people? And I know you two are actually doing a lot of door knocking together, so I'd love to hear that kind of in the field sort of sort of action because the theory's great, but you're you're testing it and doing it. For sure. When when I when I do do it, I don't do it enough. It is like phenomenal. I'm always like blown away that that, that there's such a strong positive response. Um, people really appreciate the value add of knowing what's going on with their property. It's their biggest asset often. Um, so yeah, they're they're really appreciative. If there's a lot, there's a lot there. Have yeah. you dropped off any? I have. Um, I've physically dropped off, dropped off some. I've you know emailed some, or I've also done where I've like, and then I I did like send them the actual email after, but where I've also kind of recorded something and walked them through using like a screen share showing the like this is where I'm getting this data from, this is this is what's going on. And um, definitely the open rate goes up uh, for ones that were physically dropped off. I usually do get a response back, or if I reach out to them again, they're like, oh, yeah, you brought that. So it's it sticks out more than it, – it's just – it's not so generic. I've used the, like, screen record video and shown the pictures on the MLS mm-hmm. and the comparables, and I got, I got a great feedback from that. Um, What's been the most effective of the, of the different methods that you've used? Has it been the drop-off? Has it been the email? Like, what, what, what's, what's worked best or all, all of the above? I think all of the above, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to have different ways that they communicate well. Getting in front of them, you know, that's always great. But, you know, sometimes email is what, what really triggers people. Yeah, and I think it's something that um, not everybody is ready to do something as you're providing them with this information, but they – it sticks out enough that they they remember that. I mean, you also still have to like get your touches and like yes, make yeah. sure that you're communicating with them. But um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely a value add. I would argue that it's it's so far superior to the check in. Are you selling your house call, which is what most agents default to? Mm-hmm. And I know you're going to talk about Phil Jones. He was like, basically, don't ever say this to a client ever if if you're checking in, which I loved. So simple, easy, love it. Keep going. Uh, next up, we have Robert Mack. He's out of California, Newport Beach, I believe. And he's talking about doing transformation consultations for sellers. So maybe you have a seller that has a house that is not in the t- tip-top shiny sh- state that you would want it to be to get on the market. And they have a lot of, a lot of hesitance, and they feel like they're going to lose some value. Um, so what they're doing out there is helping them clean it up, basic services, less expensive than you'd imagine um and that really gets the house in in show ready shape to kind of put it put your best foot forward um so his presentation was pretty impressive he had a good role play partner for that i heard Um, (laughs) (laughs) so just a quick question what type of transformations or like what types of projects was he recommending and are there others that he was steering away from you were saying it was more like low budget so he wasn't like you weren't like remodeling mm-hmm. rooms right for sure so he had a great case study he had a hoarder house which was just filled with trash he showed pictures it was great yep. um so he had a, a series of photos going from just completely filled to the brim like waist high with with garbage cleaning couple, it out a couple cats running through <laughs> for sure. i think there were yeah <laughs> Hid, hidden under there for sure um, going to completely empty, taking the next stage of cleaning it up, adding carpets, paint um, throughout the whole house. Just real, just like, you know, shoe shine and polish kind of deal. Um, and then bringing in a stager afterwards, bringing in furniture, bringing in nice furnishings and polishing it up to an even higher level. Yeah. Um, and all in all, he was saying they spent less than $10,000, mm-hmm. um, but probably added, you know, $100,000 to the tail end of this. Yeah. 
It, it was, I mean, it was impressive. And, and I, I, to your point, it's all low cost, which is the same stuff we say. But in, in, in that market, I mean, you saw the pictures. It was dramatic. I mean, it looked like the wholesaler house that you get emailed pictures of that says you got five, five minutes to make an offer to this is going to have multiple offers. That, mm-hmm. that, that was my interpretation of the presentation. For sure. When a, when a seller comes to me and says they want to list as is, buyer responsible for everything, there's always a bit of hesitation in my mind just because, you know, there could be some opportunities like this that, you you know, it, a little bit of work can go a long way. Great presentation. Yeah. Next up, we have uh, Tom Ferry. Tom Ferry talked, uh, always has great stuff. He always has very strong mindset uh, hacks and advice and, and things to, to bring home with you. Um, so he talked a lot about urgency and creating urgency in your business and work like somebody is trying to steal your business from you. Um, so I, I, I thought that was really great. Uh, I can definitely be bringing more urgency in my business. Uh, then he went on to say uh, he had some he had some aspects of our business we should be looking at rating and then trying to improve. So those those would break down to knowledge, skills, mindset, uh, playbooks and the community support. Um, kind of, you know, just uh, look at your business and see where you're at and, and see where you can make some improvements. I think that was a Mark Cuban quote, uh, quote excuse me, um, that like act like someone's trying to steal your business. And I thought that was so appropriate for realtors because you know what? People Somebody are is. trying <laughs> to steal your business. There's other yeah. realtors out there prospecting right. your clients. So right. I thought that was genius. Um, what You're hearing this for the first time, Sarah. I mean, you hear that. What, what does that stuff kind of resonate for you? What, is it, what does it trigger? Well, what I like about that is it's all stuff that is within your control. Because I feel like it's easy in this business sometimes to um, – there's a lot of things that are outside of your control. You know, how many offers somebody gets in? How many other agents is this individual interviewing? Like, did funds fall through for this or that? Like, there's so many things that you can't control, and this is something that you have direct control over. What skills are you working on? What knowledge are you gaining? What community connections are you making? And how much, like that sense of urgency, that is 100% you, 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 you know? You get to wake up each day and decide, am I going to like attack this day? And I'm, am I going to do all the things? And am I going to do that or am I not, you know? I think he actually said it is you versus you. That was his exact quote there, which I, I and you're right. I mean, it's all in your control. And it, it's funny because I, I think we've gone from this. It's so applicable because we and you, you've seen both sides of this probably more than, than most agents. We went from this market in 2019 where it was it, it was like a more of a grind and more of like a personal battle. And then things got so hot. It was you were just kind of along for the roller coaster ride. And it was it was fun. There was some lows. And, and now it's this recommitment to what worked before that incredible two year period. So love that from him. That, that was really good. That was one of my favorite quotes from the summit. That was on my list as well. Cool. Final up, we have uh, Phil Jones. He's an author. He wrote exactly what to say. He writes a bunch of sales books, which has great language breakdowns um, and how to you know, structure your sentences and the things you're saying to people to really get people on board with you. Um, and a big thing with him was creating what he's calling a curiosity gap. It was really surprising because he's He's, he, he takes, we do, we do a lot of obje- objection handlers and we, we do a lot of role play where sometimes it almost gets combative. Um, and he's taking, a, yes. he's taking an approach where you're, you're kind of taking a softer approach where you're bringing them into a place where you can kind of play hypotheticals, you can per- play with what ifs, and you kind of bring them to your side in a, in a kind of a softer way. Um, 
So that was really interesting. He called it the gray space to play. Uh, play. Um, so one thing he said was most people will think of themselves as open-minded. Um, and with that, you can kind of be, get them to be open-minded about these transactions. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he had some good, he had some more quotes. Um, he said, very rarely people are saying no to you. They're saying no to it and it, they're saying no to it right now. So it's, it's, if you get an objection and somebody's turning you down, it, it, it might be more than just, you know, they don't like you or they don't like what you're saying. It may just be the wrong time. And things are constantly changing. We're merchants of change and we need to be adapting and ready to adapt with people as they kind of go through their lives. Um, he noted uh, the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment that you're going to say it. So, <laughs> I, I, mean, I agree with this totally. Like, uh, you need to be role-playing. You need to be practicing what you're saying. You need to know what you're going to say, and you need to know what the situation is before you get in there fighting. Right. Um, not that we're fighting. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it, but we. And, and I think it's easy. We're not fighting, but it, it, it gets nasty. I mean, that's just the way it is. When I feel like somehow what ends up coming out of your mouth is like the opposite of what you're trying to say. Or, you know, like if you don't have it pre-thought out or or do the, you know, do the role playing and know some of the different objections, like somehow what comes out of your mouth is just like, why did I say that? <laughs> like that's it's the opposite of the point I was trying to make. <laughs> and lastly from him, I got a really good framework on debriefing yourself after after a day, after a week, um, and so on. And it's, it, he, he, he said that best is actually using the, the idea of best is actually a limiting, limiting belief. So everyone says, oh, you know, I did my best, you know, but you could always do better, right? So it's, it's, it's better is always going to be best. So when you come, when you come back from something, you, you want to make two lists to debrief yourself. One is going to be what, what did work best. Um, and then what the second list is, what are you going to be doing better next time? So keep it in a positive frame Look at look at what is working, and then look at what you are intentionally going to do better the next time, and that keeps things moving forward in that slow incremental pace of improvement. I love better versus that was one of my favorite things because it's it's like when someone you ask someone to rate you or like how how do you think you did or how was your year, you would never hear a ten from me ever because there's always room to get better. I mean, I'm usually like the hardest on my I'm like six and a half, and people are like, what the hell are you talking about? So. <laughs> I find that to be really smart. I mean, he was probably the, one of the most dynamic speakers I ever saw. I mean, you've seen a lot of folks speak now at these things. I mean, how, how would you rank Phil up there? Oh, he's up there for sure. And what I really liked is afterwards he did uh, critiquing of objections. This was good. And objection handlers live on stage. Now, when you see a really good speaker, there's always that question in my mind, like, is this just a speech that has been rehearsed a million times? And are they able to keep up that pace and that, that quickness afterwards? So seeing him live in conversations critiquing critiquing arguments and objections and bringing bringing innovation and, and good ideas to the table was really something something uh, magical to watch i also loved how hard he was on the people afterward like it was not like oh you guys did great congratulations which sometimes happens up there i mean and it was like he, he was pretty he was pretty tough on the on on the people that were there which i found to be pretty interesting yeah for sure and 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 each of them like you know got some value out of it you know it's not just you know more of the same the stuff that we've heard well, and that's what having a growth mindset is all about. So excellent takeaways. Well, we got like a minute left. I'm going to give you mine rapid fire. Tell me what you think. Um, Phil Jones, just in general, be more like him. That was a takeaway for me. Get into curiosity instead of judgment. You're right on there, Josh. The second one, Tom Ferry came out and basically said, 
there's 785,000 agents that are mishandling sellers, and we can solve this. Then that 50%, the bottom 50% of the MLS is only averaging 2.7 listings sold annually. Mind-blowing numbers to me. The top 1% to 2% gets 100 listings sold a year. So for real estate agents, if you're not focused on listings, then it's just you're, you're, you're missing an opportunity. That's, I mean, how did you take that? You were in the room when that happened. I mean, those numbers, I think, shocked a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that's, those are big numbers there. So, I mean, like we, 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 we talk about 80-20 rule, you know, 80% is done by 20% of the people out there. But see, seeing data like that where it's like it really drives it home. Love it. Last one real quick. David Childress, this is a way to leave it. The number one reason the market may crash is because everyone is waiting for the price to drop. I thought that was genius because it's not Uh. happening. So (laughs) awesome stuff, David. So that's what we got this week. Josh, thanks for coming on. If you want to follow Josh Grabinski, amazing team member, he's on Instagram at Joshua E. Grabinski. On Instagram, you can follow Sarah at Ty underscore Ty Time. You can follow me at TomTool3RD at TomTool3rd. We're streaming live every week, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look us up at TomToolSales Group. That's all we got for you on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.